Welcome to Talking Shop, the podcast all about Adobe Photoshop. Brought to you by learningphotoshop.cc. Here's your host, Dave Cross. Well, hello, and welcome to episode 33 of Talking Shop. This is the podcast all about Photoshop, but this week, really what it is, is the first and probably only episode of Breaking Bad Photoshop Habits. If you are a regular listener to this podcast, welcome back. I appreciate having you as a listener. If you're new to this podcast, this is me, Dave Cross, a longtime Photoshop educator, sharing some thoughts about the world of Photoshop. And in this episode, I want to uh, hearken back to my one of my favorite TV series of all time, Breaking Bad, and talk about Breaking Bad Photoshop habits, because I see a lot of people do things in certain ways that I think, well, it could be done a little more easily. Now, I've said this in previous episodes, and I'll say it again, that the bottom line is, if you get your work done, that's three quarters of the battle. However, I can probably share some ways that might be a little easier or faster or more accurate or more flexible. So the bottom line is you'll not only get the work done, but do it in such a way that's going to help you out for future projects. So let me just go jump right in and give you my list of what I would consider bad habits to break. And they're not, well, you know, they're not really bad. They're just, there's other ways that might be better. So I I never want to say to someone, oh, that's the bad way to do it. But okay, I got distracted there. So let me jump in uh, with the first one, which is in fact, jumping in. And I know I talked about this in a previous episode, but I want to mention again, as I see a lot of people who literally jump right into Photoshop. They, they've just started and they just start clicking on things and painting away and making decisions without really understanding what's going to happen. In my experience, I've seen a lot of people who do something and then kind of sit back and go, whoa, why did that happen? Whereas if you go through what I consider kind of a checklist, for example, you activate a tool and then you look in the options bar to see what the tool settings are. Or if you're using Photoshop 2020, you might look in the properties panel and see what the current properties for like the type tool, for example. So rather than use a tool and be kind of surprised at the results, hopefully you should be able to predict the results a little better if you get in the habit of checking the tool settings. Now along the same lines, generally we're probably gonna have a layered document. So another thing in my checklist that I'm always looking at is the layers panel. Am I on the right layer? Should I have another layer? Should I put this layer higher or lower in the stack of layers? All those kind of things that, yeah, sure, you can make a layer and then move it later. But if you're looking at it right at that time, why not do it right the first time by making sure you're kind of in the right place? Now, let me just take a quick time out and say, there's no question there's a place in Photoshop for experiment. I love experimenting, and it's one of the ways we can learn more about tools and functions in Photoshop. But if you can, you can really can set yourself up for success, I would say, if you do just that quick little check, just to make sure you're in the right place, you've got the right settings, you don't have a selection that's going to aggravate you, all those kind of things. And a lot of this comes with experience. So the more you get in the habit of checking, I think you'll spend more time, as I've said for many years, doing rather than undoing. All right, so habit number two that I would say is a very important one to break is using adjustments from the image adjustment menu. Now, there's one exception to that I'll talk about in a second, but I see people pressing the keyboard shortcut, for example, for curves or levels, and 
by default, those are destructive because they're going to actually change the pixels on your image. And, and you might at first glance, but yeah, I'm okay with that. Well, you just never know. I always feel there's going to be an occasion where you might need to change your mind or experiment a little further. And I'm not going to go into this in too much detail because I did a whole episode way back when about why you should work non-destructively. So if you're uncertain, go back and listen to that episode because I spent a lot more time talking about that. But just as a general rule, if you're going to make an adjustment, use an adjustment layer is a better way to go for a couple of reasons. So here's an example. If you wanted to adjust just the sky in a photograph and you made a selection of the sky and then used, let's say, levels or curves directly from the image adjustment menu, as soon as you click OK, you're pretty much done. So if you did 15 more steps and then realized, oops, I missed part of the sky over here, you can't just go back and readjust it because it wasn't in that initial selection. I mean, I suppose you could, but it would be way more difficult. Whereas if you made a selection and chose an adjustment layer, that will automatically create a layer mask. And of course, a layer mask is adjustable. So that means later on, if you've done those extra steps and you realize you missed a bit of the sky or you got too much of the sky, you just paint on the mask and adjust it. And to me, it just a, makes better sense. Now, I did mention there's one exception to using the image adjustment menu. If you wanted to make several adjustments to the same area, then a, a nice way to do it using that those commands under the image adjustment menu is convert your layer to a smart object, make a selection, and then you can apply several adjustments from the image adjustments menu, but they're going to show up as smart filters. So therefore, they're still very adjustable. So either one, if you want one mask with a whole series of adjustments, then use it as a smart filter or use adjustment layers. Either way, you're going to be better off. Now, unless you're very new to Photoshop, you probably already know this, but I'm just going through my list just to make sure. And that is rather than erase or delete pixels from a layer, use a layer mask. Now, there's always exceptions to every rule. So there may well be a case where you just look and say, I absolutely know I don't need this information over here. So you could just grab your eraser or make a selection, hit delete. That's okay. But I, at least what I'm trying to do is plant the seed in your head to at least question, should I make a mask? Is there a reason why it would be better off for me to make a mask? And the answer might not always be yes, but I would at least want to consider it. Now, the same goes for using smart filters as opposed to regular filters. For years, I've seen people who want to apply a filter to a layer. And this is, to some degree, this happened, of course, way more before there were smart filters. But even now, I see people do it occasionally. So they'll duplicate the layer, apply the filter, just a regular filter, with their thinking being if they make them if they change their mind or have made a mistake they can always delete that layer because they have the original layer down below before they made a copy uh, i would say it's just a whole lot easier to convert that layer to a smart object so therefore the filter is also smart so therefore it's editable which to me is just a better choice to make so I know for years, many years ago, I used to be one of those people that would tell people, as soon as you open a document, duplicate the background layer and work on that copy. Well, for me, making that background layer into a smart object gives me that ability and more. What it does mean, however, is you have to recognize that once you have converted a layer to a smart object, you cannot work directly on that layer. So tools like the healing brush or 
the clone stamp tool or anything like that, the patch tool will not work directly on that layer. You have to add a blank layer. But you know what? That's another habit that I'd suggest you should do anyway. Cloning, healing, painting, etc., onto a blank layer to me is already a better approach to take anyway. So for me, it doesn't really matter that I can't work directly on a smart object because I already had the habit of doing my retouching onto blank layers anyway. Here's another simple but effective one is if you need a layer in your stack of layers that's just a solid color, rather than adding a layer and just filling it with a color, if you add a solid color adjustment layer, it's now easier to change the color of that layer on the fly. So in the first case, if I just had a regular layer filled with say red, and I want to experiment with a different shade of red, I'd have to go to the color picker, pick a different color of red, go back to that layer, use the fill shortcut, Whereas if I have a solid color adjustment layer, I click on it and I'm able to change the color on the fly. So wherever I position my cursor to click on a different color, I'm going to see it right away. So it just gives you a method that's faster and more flexible. Now I'm a big fan of keyboard shortcuts. So anytime I can change my shortcuts to say, you know, this is the umpteenth time I've gone to that menu today. And, and for those who don't know, umpteen is a unit of measurement used by families like mine to indicate many. So when I go to a menu many times, I think, you know what, I do that all the time. Why don't I just make that a keyboard shortcut of my own? So I go to the edit menu down to keyboard shortcuts and I reallocate an existing keyboard shortcut to one that makes better sense to me because that just is easier. So now from then on, on my machine, I know I have a shortcut, for example, add a layer mask, I can do it from the keyboard instead of clicking on a button. Okay, I've got a few more important habits to break, but first, it's time for the tip of the week. This week's tip is very useful when you're doing detail work, for example, retouching, and you want to zoom in a little closer, but then also remind yourself what it's going to look like in the final view. So what we can do is create a second view of the same document. So you go to the window menu to arrange, and then you'll see new window for the name of your document. Then you go back to the window menu and you tile the windows and in one of them you zoom in, on the other you stay at the regular view and now any change you make in the zoomed in view you'll see reflected in the actual size view. And one of the things it can do is help you realize you may not need to spend quite as much time as you thought because that detail is so small. With short tutorials, in-depth multi-lesson courses and live Q&A sessions, learningphotoshop.cc provides the Photoshop training you need to succeed. Okay, here we go with some more bad habits to break. Well, again, not bad habits, not the word bad, but better ways to do things. But I just like bad because it's breaking bad. You know, you get, okay, you know what I'm saying. So another example is I used to be terrible at this where I would go to add a logo and I'd go open, file open, and then spend forever. I thought I'd put it in this folder and just had a very terrible filing system and couldn't find it and I'd go and search for logo and I realized I had like 17 files called logo one, logo two. So now I take full advantage of Creative Cloud libraries. If you're not doing that already, boy, I gotta tell you, that is a huge time saver. You put commonly used things in a library and you can have multiple libraries. So for different clients or projects or whatever you're doing. So for example, I have multiple libraries in one 
for my barbershop course where I do a lot of the promotional items. I have our logo, I have several photos, I have the colors we use all the time, I have a layer style that I've used before, all in my library so then it becomes a simple click and drag to add things in instead of going searching for them. So an incredibly great time saver and also adds the added bonus Whereas if you use Illustrator and InDesign, and I'm sure others, but those are the ones I use, that those libraries are shared between them. So you can actually use the same logo in other applications, not just in Photoshop. So that's, for me, a big one. The other one that I notice people do quite often is that they have a logo, for example, a JPEG, let's say, on a white background is they work way too hard to remove the white. They try and use the magic wand or some selection method Whereas depending on the color, if for example, it's a black logo on a white background, you potentially could just change, change the blend mode to multiply and that would take away the white. Or if that didn't work, you could use the blend if slider and just move the white triangle on the blend if slider on the this layer slider to get rid of the white very, very quickly. So before jumping into make selections, see if there isn't some other method first. Now. Speaking of which, I've also seen people make a selection. Say, for example, they had a red car in a photograph and they wanted to experiment with changing the color of the car. So they spent an awful lot of time making a very difficult selection. Whereas as long as there's nothing else in the same kind of tone of red in the photo, the chances are you can use a hue saturation adjustment layer. And what you do is, once you've added the hue saturation adjustment layer, where there's a menu that says master, you pick any other color. It doesn't even have to be the one you're trying to select. Then you'll be able to get the eyedropper. And as you click with the eyedropper, you'll be able to select the color and then just change the hue. Now I've simplified it a little bit just for the purposes of trying to describe it with words only, but look it up. It's a pretty simple way in some circumstances where you can make a color change without having to make a selection. Now, speaking of selections, I also find that a lot of people work too hard making selections because, for example, they've heard that the pen tool is the best tool to use to make a selection, which is very often false. I did a whole episode on Photoshop myths, and one of them was talking about using the pen tool. But part of it is that there seems to be this feeling that you have to get a perfect selection in one shot, and you certainly don't. You can end up with a very good selection by starting initial selection and then fine-tuning it, making it better. And, and certainly take advantage of some of the new technology like select subject that just makes life a lot easier. If you've got a fairly discernible subject standing on a background or on a background of some kind where there's some pretty obvious difference between the object you're trying to select or the subject and the background, then try that automated command. It usually works pretty well. And if, even when it's not perfect, it's usually a great start means you don't have to work quite so hard. Here's something I see quite a few people do, and it's one of those things where if you didn't know about this shortcut, you wouldn't know this was an option. And that is they're in some dialog box, whatever it is, levels, curves, or a filter, and they're playing around with settings, and then they decide they don't like it, so they click the cancel button to get out of the dialog box, only to then reopen it to start over again. But in the majority of those dialog boxes, if you see a cancel button, if you put your finger on the option or the alt key, it will change to reset, allows you to put everything back to square one and start again. So it's much faster to start again than to go close the dialog box and start all over again. 
Another habit that I think is a good one to at least be aware of and to consider is when you have many layers, to consider putting layers into a group. And it's been a pet peeve of mine for many years that the word group is, I don't know why they just didn't call it a folder, because when you, in most applications, when you group things together, they act as one. And in Photoshop, when you put things in a group, they're, I guess, from a moving standpoint, they act as one, but you still have access to all the individual elements, such as turning layer visibility on or off or applying layer styles or blend modes or whatever it is. So, but from an organizational standpoint, from an ease of use standpoint, the, to consider putting things into groups very often can save you quite a bit of time and just make, make it easier to work with a very large multi-layer document. Now, I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail of some of these other ones, but just a few other ideas. Take a look at tool presets. Instead of constantly changing settings on tools back and forth, tool presets can be a great one. Defining brushes out of different things can be a big time saver rather than doing the same work over and over again. Oh, here's a big one. I will describe this a little bit, and that is when you're find yourself doing the same operation over and over again. So for example, on many photographs that you open up, you find yourself adding a curves adjustment layer, making everything brighter, inverting the mask to make it black, getting your paintbrush, changing the foreground color to white so you can start painting in those lighter areas. Well, since you repeat that part of the operation so often, consider making an action that records just that part. I, I call that a starter action where it doesn't do a complete process, but it gets you to a certain point quicker than the alternative of you doing it yourself. Now, I'm sure there's lots of other quote unquote bad habits that people have in Photoshop. And part of it is one of the things I've thought for many years is that when you're experimenting with Photoshop and you find a way that works, you'll keep using that method because it makes sense at that time. But I believe that it's that's fine. That's great. It gets you started so you're not you don't hit a roadblock. But at the same time, being open to other ideas and searching for, I wonder if there's a, a different way to do this. And again, I hesitate to always use the word a better way, but for me, it could be faster, more accurate, more flexible. And those are the things that I look for when I'm trying to help people change their habits and be more effective at Photoshop. So I hope some of these ideas are of help to you and that if you have some of these habits, you'll explore some of these possibilities. As always, I thank you so much for listening. Please, if you haven't already, take a few moments and leave a quick review on the Apple Podcast site. Thank you very much for listening once again. I'm Dave Cross. We'll see you next time. Please subscribe and tell your Photoshop using friends. Find us at TalkingShop.show. This podcast is not authorized, endorsed, or sponsored by Adobe, publisher of Photoshop.